Harbors Magazine, covering Maine's boats, harbors, arts, and architecture since 1987. Bringing the coast as close as the mailbox, on the web at mainboats.com. Excuse me, does this do anything for you? How about this? sort of thing we play an adagio slowed down bluesy jazz so dial us up tuesday evenings at six you might like it you might even hear something that really moves you This hour of boat talk is made possible in part by Gamble and Hunter Sailmakers, making sails for classic boats, cruising boats, and the main windjammers for over 20 years. Near the harbor in Camden, gambleandhunter.net. It's 10 o'clock, and you are tuned to WERU-FM 89.9 Blue Hill and streaming online around the world at WERU.org. Boat Talk with host Alan Sprague and Mike Joyce is up next. Good morning. It's, it's uh, just about a minute past the hour of 10 o'clock here at WERU FM Blue Hill. Time for Boat Talk on Community Radio. Boat Talk is a call in radio show for people contemplating things naval with your old rusty anchors, Mike Joyce and Alan Sprague. It's a, as I said, a call-in show. It's a talk show with one-liners. And we're, we're going to hear anything that you might have to uh, talk about. Or um, we're coming up on the uh, spring commissioning season, too. If you have any commissioning questions, well, you can give us a call, too. It is the number to call, one 625 9378 And we have a... Uh, a raft of little issues to talk about today, Mike. Yeah, it'd be a great, great morning to call this morning. Uh, was looking at a couple other things and, you know, just couldn't get them together. So uh, here we are. Well, it may and, happen next time. Yeah, no, we'll be fine. And uh, like I say, uh, it would be an excellent moment to call. Where was the pun in that introduction you did there, The Alan? The call-in show, talk show with one-liners. Gotcha now. Okay. Uh, yeah. <laughs> speak, speaking of small things to talk about, this one's a large one. Uh, uh, well, there's one liner that's missing two windows. Have you heard about that? Oh, yeah. There was just a, uh, a liner. Yeah, uh, down a, in the Mediterranean. A, uh, cruise liner was in the Mediterranean. Yeah. And she took some big waves aboard. Yeah. Well, yeah. Or up against the side, I guess. And um, I'm glad you call them windows, too. You know, on boats you're supposed well, to call on them. On those ships, they kind of are. <laughs> really, they're just basically a hotel on a barge. Yeah, I guess what happened was they were in the, uh, they were in the Mediterranean, and uh, the seas were a little uncomfortable. And the people who were still able to, you know, 
eat tolerate, and move around and tolerate things were doing their thing. And uh, they had turned the boat into the waves. I kind of like to run off when it gets really nasty, you know, personally. Mm-hmm. But that's its only... There's, they seem like a longer wave when you're going down. Rather there's, than you know, it, it's always arguable what is the best tactic when things get nasty. Um, it's never, it, de- it depends on circumstance. There's no one good answer for that. Yeah. Running off, isn't it? Coming up into it, isn't it? Laying a hull, you know, they all might work sometimes. But anyway, the boat's up into the, up into the waves and the wind. And here comes a big wave, and they stuff the bow down, and this wave comes up over the deck and basically smashes the front windows in the in the salon. Uh, you know, one uh, of the upper decks. I upper believe. decks, yeah. yes. Um, you know, buried the boat in this big wave, and I believe there were three of them. And now there is water coming into the salon, into the you know the uh, eating area there, into the lounges, mm. and uh, people being swept off their feet, and, and there were small injuries and stuff. But there were two people killed. Thank you very much. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's a serious injury. Yeah, there were two people actually <laughs> killed, and, uh, you know, it's an interesting thing to go to sea for fun, and the breakthrough moment in my going to sea career, Alan, was... A particularly nasty delivery, a particularly nasty morning out in the Gulf of Maine on a Sunday morning coming back. I actually wrote about it on the Boat Talk website, and uh, boattalk.org, ain't it? But anyway, uh, um, just as miserable as I could be. And looked around, and through the circumstances, it's a bit of a story, but anyway, all of a sudden realized there was no place I'd rather be anyway. <laughs> As crappy as it was, you know, and as as miserable as I was, uh, you know. And if you can't get to that, um, it can be an interesting place to go want to hang out for, enjoy, you know, yeah, just yeah. enjoyment sometimes because yeah. it ain't always nice. Yeah, but I know what you're talking about. As long as you're miserable, you really you really feel like you're right on top of things, too. You know, you got to be very aware of what's going on, and you're just constantly... It focuses constantly. the mind wonderfully, <laughs> you know. Uh, again, why, you know... Uh, so to stage fright and stuff, what do you wish on yourself for, mm-hmm. like, say, purposes of self-improvement? But, yeah, um, yeah it is. It, it can be. And speaking of, uh, you know, bad waves and sinking boats now, uh, for two months now we've been talking about sailing uh, classrooms, uh, sa- schooners That's with, right. with, sco- yeah. with students sailing around. Yes. We had uh, Captain... Um, J.B. Smith. Thank you. <laughs> yes. Captain J.B. Smith. No, you were just testing me. Yeah, the ocean, uh, no, I got a open mouth brain shut this morning. But anyhow, uh, 1-866-625-9378 solved that problem. But anyway, uh, Captain J.B. Smith was in here, and it's the Ocean, ocean. Classroom Institute. Yes, that's right. Yes. Yep. And um, they do, uh, they have several, a fleet of three schooners, uh, Harvey Gamage, Spirit of Massachusetts, and West Wind, and they take students for extended trips uh, up to around the world, but, you know, maybe four months in the Caribbean like they're doing right now. Yeah. And they go off and they um, they learn to sail the boat. They learn to cooperate um, as a team and they take school lessons and develop curriculum about being on the boat and stuff and get a big life experience. So that's the Ocean Classroom Institute people. Um, they're out of Booth Bay. Uh, we'll, we'll finish this real quick. The, um, there is another group out of Lunenburg, Nova Scotia, they had a boat off of Brazil. I believe the boat was a brigantine. It had a square rig on the Yeah, it's on an odd-looking thing. Yeah, it had a square rig on the front. and uh, um, Steel hull, I believe. Yep. yep. Uh, hit a microburst, 
and the boat went down in less than 15 minutes. Nobody was hurt significantly. Nobody was killed, certainly only small little injuries. And after 41 hours, they were rescued, and we can talk more about that, but we won't answer the phone right now. Okay, good. There's more to that story, but let's answer the phone. Good morning, and welcome to Boat Talk. Uh, thank you. Uh, Fred in St. George. Hi, Fred. Usual uh, suspect, Fred. Absolutely. Um, absolutely. I'm glad you're here this morning, man. How thank you. Doing? Thank you. And uh, same old question. You know, I'm, I, I haven't heard anything about the bus or about raw faith lately, so I... Uh, yep. Hope they're both doing well, but let's find out. The bus is on hold, but Mike has the uh, raw faith story. Uh-huh. Well, I know some things about raw faith, and um, they're kind of hard-earned, though, and I'll be right up front about it. There's some politics involved here. I am very close to George's middle son. Uh-huh. Um, and he came to me a while back, and he says, I want to buy a boat. He says, i got boat dreams. I says, I'll, I'll look one over for you. So uh, I went and looked at a couple of boats for him, and one in particular down in Portland, uh, Irwin 28, I think it was, uh, very aggressively priced. I said, Tom, <laughs> don't buy this boat. Uh, he bought the boat. He, uh, I said, Tom, uh, buy a piece of land. I'll help you build a little house. And uh, he bought the boat. So anyway, Tom is right now off on his big boat dream, which was to sail this little Irwin 28. He's been living on it for the last couple of summers. And uh, he wants to sail it to the Caribbean. Uh -huh. So he left kind of late for different reasons and tried to stop in New Jersey and do some work with his, his uh, older brother. Didn't work out too good. Um, by the time Tom <laughs> got to Cape May, New Jersey, it was, uh, you know, January. And he called me up and he says, you know, I got to get down to the intercoastal waterway. I got a friend I can visit in the Chesapeake and... and uh, you know, which way should I go now? And I said, Tom, no question whatsoever. Um, to get to the Chesapeake Bay, you want to go up the Delaware Bay. You want to go up, up the Delaware. And at the top of the Delaware Bay is a canal. The Chesapeake and Delaware Canal connects to the top of the Chesapeake Bay. And then you can go down the Chesapeake, back all the way to the mouth of the Chesapeake at Norfolk, and get in the intercoastal waterway. And it's a longer route, but it's sheltered and inside. He says, oh, that's perfect. He says, uh, I said... Have you been enjoying your midwinter offshore experience, Tom? He says, no, no. I said, you see anybody else out there, Tom? No, I don't. I said, you're kind of late, Tom. So here's the punchline, Fred. I haven't even got to it yet. He gets to the Chesapeake and Delaware Canal. It's January, right? It's frozen. It's closed. He cannot go through. They have, they have uh, you know, people guarding either end, and unless you're steel-hulled with so many horsepower, you ain't going through. And so Tom turned around and went back out, beat his way back out the Delaware Bay, got stuck in Ocean City, Maryland uh, a couple weeks ago when all them big storms were coming through the middle of the country. Mm -hmm. Wow. And uh, pretty much, uh, like I say, Tom, that, that's uh, Tom's boat dream to get to the Caribbean. He says, I ought to turn around and come back. I says, maybe you ought to wait a week or two, Tom. But, you know, so uh, things I know about raw faith, involve Tom, and um, there's there's family politics there. Mm. But anyway, the the oh gist boy. of it is, George won't speak to me anymore. Mm. Um, he thinks that we have prejudiced, uh, <laughs> you know, opinion against him and, and are not, not uh, playing him straight. I huh. couldn't disagree more. But anyway, when last heard, George was in Portland, Maine, and he took the boat um, from Rockland, where it was under Coast Guard port arrest. Right. And you remember that he's tried twice to get across the Gulf of Maine and been dismasted both times. Well, 
He's got a new rig on the boat. He's in Rockland, Maine, where relations in the harbor with the harbor master, the fishermen, everybody is just not good. And uh, the Coast Guard would kind of like him to go away, too. I believe it's not that hard to say. <laughs> but they can't take the chance of turning him loose and having to rescue him again. Uh-huh. Okay? So they gave him a permit to, like, take little day sails, and, and he did. He got a new rig in the boat. He still has um, uh, church groups that are uh, helping him. And he sailed the boat a couple of times this summer. He got some more funding, and Alan, uh, I mean, have we talked about this? George bought an engine for Raw Faith, finally. Yes, yes. Bought a diesel engine, finally. And after all this time of of deciding that, you know, by not putting an engine in, didn't need one, um, he actually does need one. This is what his experience has taught him. So he got the boat to Portland. It gets even better, uh, Fred. He gets the boat to Portland, and um, he lands in Portland, and right away hooks up with Phineas Sprague of Portland uh, Yacht Services. I've met Phineas. Phineas is also the um, uh, guy behind the main Bow Builder show, which is coming up in yeah. a couple weekends here. Yeah, F- Phineas and I are related way back. Are you yeah. now? Yeah. Hell of an interesting fellow. Phineas got his own schoonery, uh, Lion's Whelp. Yeah, uh, pretty it's interesting. beautiful. Yeah, thing. oh my God. So anyway, Phineas and George hit it off. Well, Big well, time. Well. <laughs> George doesn't get along with everybody. Is is basically what we weren't, you know. That's so they have hit it off big time. Phineas has extended the generosity of his boatyard to George. Wow! And the last I heard, they were working to put an engine in Raw Faith. Yes, I've heard that too. I've heard also that they're going to put it in off center. Oh, it'd have to be off yep. center, yeah. Um, mostly because there's so many nails in the keel and stuff, you couldn't drill a hole to get the shaft out. That would be part of the problem with the planking too. But I bet they can get a shaft out there sideways. But at last uh, report, it was in Portland, and uh, I don't know how George and Phineas, uh, you know, how their friendship has matured, but that's, that's the raw yeah. faith story that we don't have the, like, say, ability to talk to George anymore, really, and I'm sorry for that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it uh, sounds like uh, George's uh, faith is uh, cooking some, not so raw. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Fred, the other, the other thing about the raw faith story, and I've alluded to it a little bit this morning, um, you know, it's personal politics, and mm-hmm. the boat parts are interesting enough. Mm-hmm. The Some of the personal parts, we just, you know, you, ca- you kind of can't go there. But here's a uh, little thing that was in, uh, published in a uh, nice little book. There's a man called Silver Donald Cameron. He's a famous writer from Cape Breton, Nova Scotia. Silver Donald Cameron. Silver Donald always had the dream to sail away, finally. He gets successful enough, his books are selling, and he buys an old fiberglass boat, and he finds a woman who will go, and he sails it down to the Caribbean. This was, I think, two winters ago, and wrote a book about it <coughs> on the way. I'm reading this book, He sta- and, and Silver Donald was use, huge in my life when I, when I uh, landed in Nova Scotia. Um, anyway, that's another big story. But So Silver Donald lands in Jonesport, Maine, where raw faith is anchored in the reach. And he runs into Joanne um, McKay at the laundromat <laughs> and wrote a page and a half about George's wife uh. and just her general demeanor. Uh. And I'm um, telling you what. Small world. Yeah, it's a small world. And, <laughs> and um, Joanne, Joanne's meeting with uh, Silver Donald at the laundromat worried Silver Donald, let's put it that way. Uh. He could see it wasn't right. And I forget the name of the book, but Silver Donald Cameron, and like I say, it's his book about sailing to the Bahamas. And we got to leave most of the stuff out. George is not with his wife anymore, just for instance. 
Oh, boy. You know? And the boat dream is, like I say, um, man, how do, you, how do you get everybody harmonizing on a dream? Mm. You know? Yeah, their dreams are pretty personal. When, you're, when a okay. boat has changed your life, do you just automatically assume it's changed your wife's life, too? <laughs> Chuckle. <laughs> You're married, huh, Fred? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much. And, oh, uh, like I, I, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a, I'm a, I follow the path of knowledge, uh, not the path of faith. And when I uh, saw raw faith in Rockland Harbor and noticed the uh, rudder rig and other things, um, my thought was that uh, George should uh, upgrade his faith some and uh i uh i did the engine going in that's that's a step and uh, who knows what other steps and uh, so that's my two cents worth have you see, did you see the uh, the boat in rockland recently fred no no okay well if you go to the boattalk.org site there's a fairly recent picture of it with this new rig and i, I will have to admit it looks looks better now than it did the rig is probably the best one he's ever had in it it was saleable he did get down to portland and stuff but again um, his conclusion after all this time of adamantly avoiding the engine issue was that i need an engine and isn't that interesting that's experience. a big step for george yeah that's a pretty interesting experience. Oh, this is luck. after having lo uh, lost at least one of his push boats as well. Good God. Um, you know, how hey, um, well, let's, uh, you know, let's uh, rechristen uh, the boat uh, job, uh, the water job, <laughs> the ocean job. <laughs> and I, 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 I get your still biblical reference there, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> Subtle, Fred, I like it. Yeah, I feel like a train wreck. Hey, thanks a lot. Great show. Hey, well, good to hear. You. It was good. a real revelation. Good to hear from you, man. <laughs> yeah, right. I had a pun this morning, too, and I, I worked on it and worked on it, and uh, I should have wrote it down, but maybe it'll come back to me later with whatever we're talking it about. It usually comes back just too late. You know, it'll yeah, be like 1101 when you think yeah, of it. Yeah, mouth open, brain shut. Can't, you can't, you're not going to try to explain it otherwise uh, It's kind of a guy thing. <laughs> yeah, the phone is uh, just ringing and uh, nobody's on it though, but you can call anytime, 1-866-625-9378. We have, uh, we're going to talk to a couple of guests about dreams this morning, but we weren't able to uh, pull it together and, and we're going to talk about uh, fisheries as well, but didn't pull that one together either, but we got some uh, odds and ends to talk about this morning and would be eager anything you are interested in boat talk is contemplating anything about your naval issues mm -hmm. so oh, we do have a call good time good morning and welcome to boat talk good morning this is captain yo in oh. tremont Hello, captain another yo. usual suspect you're forgiven though we actually uh, approve of such stuff yo oh well thanks a lot <laughs> I thought I would uh, throw in my two cents worth about the perennial debate about the difference between a brigantine and a schooner and a hermaphrodite. There's a fair amount of uh, inaccuracy in the historical writings about these ships. In the 16th and 17th century, there were all kinds of different rigs, amalgamations of the gaff rig and the square rig. I think, however, most of the confusion about the difference between the types is subsequent to when these types were actually working vessels. In other words, come the 20th century, when these vessels were disappearing from the seas, people confused the terms. Now, the term brigantine, it's kind of a romantic term, but it's really a very rare rig. The rig you allude to is properly, and I refer to Chappelle on this, 
is properly known as a hermaphrodite brig with a square rig on the foremast and a gaff rig on the main mast. I believe you're right. And uh, if it wasn't a hermaphrodite brig, it would have a fore and after, a triangular a, a gaff sail on the after mast, but with a square sail above that one. With a square sail on the main top mast over the gaff, it becomes a brigantine. And that was a rig which was a lot more common in the 17th and 18th centuries and almost unheard of after about 1800. The other very fine difference is the difference between a hermaphrodite brig and a topsail schooner. The difference being the placement of the foreyard. And if the foreyard is rigged above the gaff jaws, then you have a schooner. If the foreyard is rigged below the gaff jaws, then you have a brig. And it, basically it refers to the relative importance of the fore square sail versus the uh, fore gaff sail. I love it, yo, but I also, um, you know, I, I imagine that we've uh, lost a bunch of people. And, <laughs> I just think And, uh, for instance, a, a yawl and a catch, uh, the a yawl is if the rudder um, is, if the mast is, is uh, aft of the rudder, but some yawls, the, the mast is actually forward of the rudder, but there's still a yawl. But anyway, here's the point I'm trying to make. You can take any boat hull and rig it how many different ways. Okay, there are so many different ways to range a suit of sails on a boat. That same boat rigged how many different ways can be described. Um, it's usually described by its rig is what I'm saying. The, how, you, how you call the boat is, is usually related to its rig. Well, that's what you can see when you first catch sight of her. Right. Yeah, hull down the uh, sail ho from the mast top. You know what she looked like? Oh, she looked like a brig, sir. You know, Arg. She looks <laughs> like, yeah. her. So anyway, and um, the way it um, run out at the end of the um, age of sail there was um, barks were, were the most popular rig when you get right down to it. A bark is described as a boat that has... For, a Portuguese um, water dog. Yeah, well, <laughs> a bark. A bark would be a uh, a boat that has, let's say, um, uh, square sails on the two foremasts and uh, or more, uh, or more, and a uh, fore and aft sail on the aftermast. Well, what's interesting about the bark is that they found in the 19th century that a number of vessels which had previously been ship rigged actually sailed better when they took the yards off the mizzen and expanded the gaff sail. But not only did they save on crew, but the vessels performed better with yeah. that rig. And that's why it became more popular. Yeah, and those square sails, boy, they when things are right, boy, they drive the boat. And uh, But when things aren't right, uh, you, know, you know, the wind's too close to the way the boat's going. They're not the greatest thing. Are you getting a microburst? And also for maneuvering, um, you know, that... Uh, Nice sail on the boom there aft back back at the end where it has, um, think of your boat as as a uh, big lever, okay? And if you want to, if you want to turn it, you would maybe push on the far end of uh, way away from the uh, center of effort. Uh, sure, you sheet the, you sheet the spanker to windward. Yeah, and that I'm saying that your stern right through the wind. Yeah, by having uh, some some uh, good force, you can exert on the far ends of the boat. And by this, the spanker, you mean the uh, the uh, gaff rig sail on the back end of of this right. uh, bark, or uh, like I say, haul on the jib, and and you want to uh, work with your leverage on the ends of the boat, and that's how that rig developed. Also, a manpower thing. Um, 
took big crews to sail those. I was reading another account recently of, uh, I believe it was Lance Lee, formerly of the Apprentice Shop, I guess, uh, I don't know what Lance is doing now, but they were rigging up an old Tancook uh, schooner that they wanted to um, use to haul cordwood around to the islands out in uh, Penobscot Bay. And they come up with a very arcane rig. And as they studied it, they realized they didn't know how to really get these sails to set properly. But the fellows that developed these rigs did so for good reasons. Because all they had was a world of work, and they didn't want to make themselves more. They trying to make it as just as easy as they could. And again, how many ways can you arrange sails on a boat? number, and I guess on that subject I'd like to throw out that uh, John Moore, Captain John Moore, has taken his spray replica and he's eliminated the gaff rig and he's rigged it as a junk. And he says that uh, he expects her to sail better and he insists that the junk rig is a lot handier than the gaff because when you go to reef you slack off the halyard and the various battens come together and it's a snap. You don't really down like have a Venetian blind. Yeah, exactly, like yeah. a Venetian blind. I can't wait to see her. It's going to be outlandish. But uh, it is, it's, I guess, the whole shape similar to a junk. She's flat-floored and beamy and bluff-ended. Hmm. So that might work with a junk sail. Yo, someday do you see catamaran lobster boats and fine fiberglass yachts with, uh, you know, uh, junk rigs on them? Made down east. <laughs> well, I want to see a really high-tech sailing vessel with a rigid airfoil. We'll get around to that. A There's a bit. perennial talk about that, but you sure don't see them. <laughs> I saw one down the Chesapeake years ago. It was a, a catamaran, and uh, it was a fascinating thing to look at. It's like an airplane wing. It rotates on a pivot, and uh, I guess there might be a reason why you don't see more of those. Yeah. Well, yo, we... Uh, well, guys, thanks for running the show. I yo, I got talk. one more thing to add that you were perfect for um, this little plug here, and it's uh, it's about a book, too, and we've talked about, uh, you know, more books on Boat Talk, which is a, a good thing. But the fellow's name is uh, William Bunting. He lives down in uh, Washington, Maine, I believe, and uh, he's written a number of just... Uh, he, he is one of my absolute favorites, William Bunting. Can't get him to come on Boat Talk. But um, his newest one is called, um, oh, jeez. <laughs> he's doing it again. Doing it again. Anyway, uh, it'll come to me in just a second. Uh, he's famous for the books A Day's Work, for instance, which are photographs from, like, the 1860s to the 1920s of Maine people going about their business in Maine and anywhere in the world, and a lot of boat stuff in there, too. Okay? And um, he wrote another one called Sea Struck, which was about... A couple of upper-class uh, college kids at the end of, you know, we were in the 1890s. The age of commercial sale is coming to a, a, a close, but they've grown up reading about all these, you know, square riggers and stuff, and they got the dream they want to go to sea, so they sign on for a voyage. Sea struck, and they kept, uh, they kept uh, what do you call it, uh, diaries. And, uh, you know, like I say, the dream's not always what you hope it would be. That's just a killer book. The newest one is about... The um, um, the uh, Seawall family and their their boat building uh, ship owning empire in uh, Bath, Maine, and uh, the name of it the name of it oh my God like I said not thinking well this morning well you can put it on the boat stocks website Brent, oh, it'll, it'll come to me in just a second but um oh we have another caller like here. say William Bunting and this new one if you want a feel for the age of sail and the different rigs because a lot of it is 
accounts by the the uh, captains. A lot of captain uh, material in there. Um, and it shows how the trade works, what they were going and why. And, um, you know, uh, it's just an absolutely fascinating account, and I've never been able to more conceptualize what life was like in those circumstances than reading that book. And, again, brand-new uh, William Bunting. And cool. Again, well, thanks for the tip. I'll yep. check that. Uh, maybe we'll figure out what the title is. Oh, it's going to come to me in just a second, <laughs> yo. So. Oh, thank you, yo. Thanks you, for running the show, guys. Yep, thank you. Good morning. You've given great fodder to the pun pool, yo. Uh. We have another caller. Let's go right to that. Good morning. Welcome to Boat Talk. Hello, this is Joe from Rockland. Hello, Charles. Joe, he said. Joe, okay, sorry. Joe, Joe, Joe okay. what do you know? Oh, How's things in Rockland? Not a whole lot. Not as much as Joe. Joe is a hard act to follow. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Hi, Joe. I hope you're still listening. Um, my first question, I've got a bunch of this float rope, and um, I'm making some of the... Uh, woven doormats oh interesting you see around um but um last night i i got a book on knots and i made this um uh it's called an ocean braid you familiar familiar with what that is it's kind no, of a, no no we're not <laughs> and let's back up for just a second joe what we're talking about here is that um because of uh, whale issues um all the floating uh rope in the lobster fishery, which is considerable, is due for replacement, and it's being discarded in mountains at mm -hmm. the present time and changed for sinking rope that the lobster are not handy about. But what to do with these mountains of discarded floating rope? And you're recycling it into into uh, mats. There's a company right down the coast that's actually making them and shipping them most anywhere. Yeah. So anyway, what what are you uh, and the name of the boat uh, book we were talking about is Live Yankees. But anyway, we're uh, there it is. And, and what what's this uh, knot you were telling us about, Joe? Well, it's like a it's like a mat. The thing is that there are so many people making the straight ro woven mats that I, I I'm gonna I have been making some of those and selling them. But I want to make different things. One of the things I want to make is fenders, but I'm a little concerned that it might uh, be too abrasive for yeah. the gel coat on some people's boats. Um, right. Well, you could put uh, a fleece cover over it. Yeah, that's a possibility. Or maybe even a softer rope. That's recycled fleece. Yep. <coughs> recycled, right. Uh, or maybe even a softer rope that's just uh, a few strands tied around, I thought. Um, but the other, this, this is another mat. It's uh, similar to, you know, like a doormat, but it's woven like an Irish knot. You know, that's like four strands, three or four strands that uh, weaves around and makes a really pretty attractive uh, pattern. Mm -hmm. But what I'm trying to find out is what they were actually used for on board ships. I'm, I've seen them around just as sort of ornamental things, but uh, I'm trying to find out what the use is or what the use might have been and, and what uses people might be able to make of them now. And I don't since you know. haven't heard of it, <laughs> I guess you're not going to be able to answer that. Well, um, I always suspect, uh, you know, if you're putting out a matting or, or you know, shredding um uh, Stuff, uh, it's all about an uh, chafe. It's Protection. all about preventing chafe. Yeah. Chafe is the big enemy on a boat, especially a big square rigger boat kind of thing. And um, I w that would be my first guess is they're, uh, you know, employed to stop things from rubbing against each other. Mm -hmm. Yeah, just my guess anyway, but I'm not sure I have the picture. Okay, well, that's okay. You might look up at some point ocean braid or ocean plate, and you'll see what it is. Wrote it right down. Can you make a... Uh, uh, you know, is there some uh, job opportunity here, Joe? Uh, uh, I hope so. I'm trying to make some money. I'm, I'm uh, normally I'm a stone worker, but uh, this time of year there's nothing going on. 
and so I've been uh, weaving these ropes and trying to trying to sell them. Uh, you, you're looking to make some money doing it too. What? Do you, what? I don't understand your question. Oh, I'm I'm no. just asking if, like I say, there is a you know commercial possibility here. You could make some money and and uh, like I say, use up some old rope and sell some people some useful doodads. So um, yeah, that's what I'm trying to yes. do. I'm a, I'm going to make some monkey fists and things like that, and and uh, I'm going to try the fenders anyway because some folks might like them on their dinghies on the dinghy dock and maybe some puddings to put over the bow to protect uh, dinghies and the dinghy dock and things like that and just see how it goes you so know do you have a website or you have an outlet or you know now, i have a website for my stonework but uh, i've just started this so i don't really have anything uh i'm gonna call my company twists and turns you're a good down easter with a couple of like say a couple of seasonal plans there joe yeah admire that creative economy also found out this summer much to my um uh shock and dismay that a ordinary uh, line rubbing against a fiberglass boat um, can scratch the fiberglass. Uh, certainly, over 48 hours pitching in a storm, oh, yeah. and uh, like I say, that's that's even a nice yacht braid, uh, Dacron yacht braid that's meant for a bow rope that's nice and soft to touch. Okay, mm-hmm. as opposed to these old scratchy lobster ropes that we're talking about here, which are polypropylene, I believe. Yeah. So uh, you can't underestimate the abrasive power of, uh, like, say, anything against a shiny piece of paint or gel coat. So, yeah, Fender's interesting problem. Yeah, I'm not sure that it'll work. But you like to say I could put some kind of fleece over it or, 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 or something like that. But I think maybe more of the decorative things out of it might be, uh, might still work. And I'm going to make some of those Fenders anyway. And uh, maybe those folks who don't have such shiny boats might be interested. Sure. Yeah, great idea. Never lose their air. Glad to talk to you this morning, Joe. Thanks, Thank Joe. you very much. Yeah, thank you so much. We have another phone call. We do. Let's give the phone number, too. Geez, we're uh, more than halfway through boat talk already. And we like I say, uh, yeah. 1-866-625-9378. Good morning. You're on deck. Yes, good morning. This is uh, Avila from Sedgwick. Ah, Avila, how are Avila you? Avila Hawkins, how hey. are you this morning? Not too bad, you. Good. Nice to talk to you, man. I called up. I got a little bit of experience with schooners and stuff, and... Uh, Yo's got a. He's. I'm not really big on nomenclature and all that, and he's. Uh, he's absolutely right. But I couldn't help but giggle about the fact that the, the yard on a, yeah, the yard on a brig, being below the gaff jaw doesn't work. Period, because the jaws slide up and down the mast. So the real thing is that a brig, would be, gaff rigged on with square rig on both sails with a small spanker on the main. A uh, brigantine had. Just on the main and not, but just on the fore and not the main, what to my understanding, but the sails between the two spars were set like jibs or called staysails. Yep. And the whole idea behind a schooner, of course, is that it's got two gaff-headed sails, the after one being bigger than the other, not the mast, but the sail itself bigger than the forward. And that makes it, uh, so the idea is that uh, topsail schooner is anything that's got two gaff-headed sails that use the whole lower spar and then have square topsails set over that. So a uh, regular schooner like we see around here, the Mary Day, the one that I'm most familiar with, my father built her and I sailed her for years, was not a topsail schooner. She has two topsails, but she's just a schooner. She's uh, not a bald-headed schooner. She's a schooner with two gaff topsails. Take a square topsail, it uh, makes it a topsail schooner. So bald-headed. all of the schooners... Yeah. yeah. What's a bald-headed schooner? A bald-headed schooner is a schooner that doesn't have any gaff topsails. Oh, I, other thought words, it, no, I thought it might have been the bowsprit. No, no, that's a knockabout. 
Uh, there's yeah, and there's a name yeah. for a, a either they have a gyps uh, bowsprit or they don't. That makes a difference too. Yeah, about, with a bowsprit, she's just a schooner. Widowmakers, they used to call those sometimes. Yeah, you load on them in nasty conditions and do stuff, and people fall right. off. Right, and if it doesn't have a bowsprit, you can't fall off. Thomas was the first one, but anyway, McManus came up with that whole idea. But anyway, they were. If it was, it's a knockabout schooner that doesn't have a bowsprit. If it's a bowsprit, if you got a schooner with a bowsprit and two. You know, regular standard schooner with no topsails. It's a bald-headed schooner. Huh. No. If you've got a schooner with two gaff topsails and any number of jibs, it's still just a schooner. It's not a topsail schooner. It's still just a schooner. Like, say, you um, kind of come by this knowledge in a family way. Uh, <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, a friend of mine down in the vineyard has a boat called Shenandoah, and he's been sailing this uh, topsail schooner now for 40 years with no motor in her southern New England. And it's I'm a little bit sort of... <laughs> You know, there's been several boats like the Pride of Baltimore and all these boats built, and nobody's ever talked to him about it. But this guy's, that boat, right, that topsail schooner, and I've sailed against it with my little boat. She's a gap-headed sloop, and he can point with me. I mean, he knows how to sail a topsail schooner in square sails. Hmm. So it's quite amazing that uh, there's all that knowledge, and nobody really looks him up to find out how it works. But he's a, he's a wealth of knowledge. Like I say, 40 years of sailing a vessel around Southern New England without a motor and squirrels is pretty pretty good he, record. He and George is hook, hook up. Huh? Yeah. Well, <laughs> no, I don't think they. That, don't and this knowledge it. came from centuries without engines. Well, I have a lot of fun. Like again, in the Merry Day and the Stephen Tabor, I've been. My father bought the Tabor in '49, and I was raised on her. But uh, we sailed up in this bay for umpteen years and uh, never had a motor in her, just like the guys that are up here now. And I'm fond of saying that. Uh, is what I like to call trailing edge technology. This <laughs> this stuff is not rocket science. And uh, the whole idea about putting a junk rig in because it's easier to sail in a gaff head sail is, is crazy as far as I'm concerned, but I'm a pretty <laughs> pretty opinionated about how easy a gaff headed boat to sail is. My 18-year-old son will take my 50-foot gaff headed sloop out with 1,000 feet in the main and sail it by himself. And I do the same thing. So... It's not a matter of the size of the gear that you're handling. It's understanding how the gear works and understanding that you can't bully it. The big thing that happened the big thing that happened was when we made the change from commercial sale to to, uh, to recreational sale, it all became speed. And then we wound up making more and more complex rigs to get a little bit more weather work out of it and all that kind of stuff to the point where now we couldn't handle a boat because now the crews took big crews and we can't hire the crews so now we've gone into technology but if you go step back beyond the whole speed thing back beyond the recreational sail thing to the commercial sail thing and understand precisely how that rig works there is nothing more simple or safe to handle than a big gaff-headed sail if you understand it i can take my sail down 50 knots of wind and never lose headway by myself. You've been practicing. You've been practicing, have one. And well, I, I mean, would... the point. I don't have to practice. I, I I do have to practice. But the point is, all you need to do is understand how it works. Yeah. It's a little bit like uh, the martial arts. Most of the time, when we're out on boats, we try to wrestle against the elements. Right. Use the force. And uh, you can't. Where if someone attacks you and you step out of the way, they fall down, and you sit on them. The boat's the same way. You can't bully. You know, Ford and my boat's 42,000 pounds. You can't bully that, but I can use that weight to my advantage. Beautiful. And if you understand that stuff, it becomes very, very simple thing to handle these big rigs. And elegant. And here's the point I was going to make, though. There's there's a uh, aesthetic element there, isn't there, Havel? I mean, you, 
you feel good when you look up at your gaff. You might not get that same feeling looking up at a foreign junk rig now. Well, it's, the thing about a junk rig is is that you completely destroy all the airfoil of that sail. It's It's got straight battens the whole length of it, so it doesn't have the kind of airfoil that we need to work. I mean, modern, we've learned something over the last 300 years, but the shape of the sail is everything, and you can't get that shape in a junk sail. All it is is fairly straight with little pockets. Speaking so of... You're, so you're losing an awful lot of the efficiency of a sail for the sake of being able to reef the boat, but the number of lines that you use on a junk sail to reef it <laughs> multiply exponentially, whereas the lines to reef a sail even as big as mine are, there's only like two, you know? Yeah. So I think that we spend a lot of time wrestling with junk rigs and roller furling and all kinds of other things to make the boat easier to sail because we don't understand how elegant and simple and and pretty much harmless and benign these big rigs are. Well said. Once man. you understand them. Yeah, and, uh, well said. So anyway, I just had to throw my two cents in yeah. there, but I also had a little bit, you know, I built this boat in 96 with no money. Everything came from the bank, and my wife was in on it. So the dream thing is there, too. Yeah. Excellent. And we're still floating. Let's throw one more thing in about, uh, you know, sail technology here. Did you notice the America's Cup was just sailed and won again by the Americans? Yeah, yeah. And it was not hardly in the news. I mean, it, it no. kind of rarely is. But I, I have that story if we want to get Yeah, to but it here's the thing. They spent, the race was anticlimactic when you get right down to it. it they sure spent was. like three or four years in court trying to come up with all the rules for the race yeah. and what was allowed and what wasn't and what, you know. And, uh, you know, the old days of draping keels and secret rigs and I'm going to try Moran and you got to, you yeah. know, and, and the thing has become um, so much uh, dependent on, you know the wind tunnel and the you know the the ultimate hydrodynamics everything yeah. as opposed it's to a, it's a designer's race now yeah yeah well it's, you know i <laughs> my father of course was a hopeless romantic and an inventor and an artist and all kinds of cool stuff and people who know him can vouch for it but he you know he said you can sail anything to downwind you can take something you can sail to weather but he loved the idea that he could get on a raft and make it go to weather with bed sheet and that was the way i was brought up it's not so much how fast you're going in the boat it's how much you're getting out of that particular boat you're on now i've never had more fun than sailing the stephen Tabor and the richard robbins and some of these old coasters around here against each other and there was the the skill that goes into that is amazing and it's not and it's how fussy the rigs are i mean i i can walk by boats in these big gaff-headed schooners and other people they're getting better at it now but we you know just because we paid attention i actually put yarns in the sails and everything and learned a lot about how these big rigs work and they think of them as big clunky hard boats to move and you know all you do is put the sails up and go but they're not they're phenomenally sensitive vessels and it takes a tremendous amount of skill to get these boats to go right and for me that's more fun than getting into a high-tech piece of machinery and just going fast almost no matter what you do. So the, the fact that you can get into a less, uh, a boat that is less, um, what am I say, efficient or whatever, you, however you want to put it, and get the best out of that boat and perhaps even build something you're not supposed to is an awful lot of fun, and it requires every bit as much skill. So I get a little bit tired of people downing a gaff-headed sail and downing this and, you know, you know, we can't, they'll never go to weather and all that stuff. It's absolutely not true. They're just the most wonderful things to sail you ever saw. And it's <laughs> another one that you always hear is that, uh, you know, Marconi, the gaff is always flapping around and all that kind of stuff. Well, when you reef 
a boat that's got a gaff headed sail, you're bringing that same part of the mast that might still be up in the air down with you so that all of that weight starts pulling, coming down lower, and it doesn't wave around. It mm-hmm. really becomes another crew member when you want to drop the sail. That gaff pushes the sail down for you. Somebody doesn't have to go up forward and yank the last 10 feet of sail down. And like I say, these um, old fellows that spent centuries trying to move these boats without engine power that we have so easy now, they figured out some pretty intelligent ways of dealing with stuff. Yeah, well, I mean, it was, they, they sort of had to, and I, I love that term, trailing edge technology. I live in a 19, you know, 1790s Cape the same way. We don't try to live in the whole house in the wintertime. Yep. We live in two rooms, you know. <laughs> and it's the same, the same thing. You don't, you know, you, you, you sail up to what you can do. But now... You know, you can't sail in and out of some of these harbors. They're just too damn crowded. But there were times when we sailed in and out of every harbor on this coast with no motor and we sailed right up the inner harbor of northeast and anchor. And, I mean, it was, we just had a ball with that boat. Excellent. But, um, anyway. How lucky were you to be raised that way, I was huh? pretty lucky, yeah. i yeah. got to admit, I was pretty lucky to do that. Good for you. Um, Thank you, Hattie. We're going to do one more little plug. The boat that I have now is called Vela. And uh, if you're at the, wouldn't, at the boat show down in, uh, in uh, Portland there, uh, this outfit that I'm working with now, this Windward Passage out of Castine's a nonprofit, and we do a uh, summer camp with kids now and it's carry a lot of foster kids and stuff. Wind- so windwardpassage.org. That's right. right that's yes. right. Yeah. What's the, uh, give us the dates for the boat show. It's, uh, I don't know. I think it's the 19th, 20th, and 21st, maybe. Uh, I, I believe you're right. I think it is, yeah. Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Uh, weekend uh, after next. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But we're just having a ball carrying these kids around. We do five days and five nights and walk around on the beaches and get them out of the shelters and stuff up country. We're having a ball with these kids and oh, man. teach them how to roll. and Blow their tiny minds. Yeah, they do. They're all, you know, washing the dishes and cooking the meals and hoisting the sails, and we just have a blast. Began sailing this big old gaff hit a sloop around with a bunch of kids who've never been on a boat before. It's just the neatest thing going. So we have a lot of fun with it. Good for you, Eddie. All right, well, I had to get my two cents in there. Oh, I guess I probably put morning. in more like a quarter's worth. <laughs> oh, yeah. Perfect morning for a man. Glad to talk to you. Keep it up, guys. i got to go take a truck out to yeah, Thank you. one 625 We have another caller. Well, let's say hello. Okay, good morning. You're up next. Hey, this is Lawton in Penobscot. Lawton? Yep. Okay. What happened to the victory chime? Where is that thing? Great Three Lakes. Times. I don't know anything about it. I thought it went to the I Great Lakes about 10, 15 years ago. That's what I had heard, and it got eaten up by some kind of freshwater worm. Uh-oh. That yeah. was Domino's Pizza or something bought it. Yeah, heard. didn't Domino's right. Pizza yeah, bought it? And right. Victory Chimes is a three-master, correct? I believe so. Yeah, and uh, you, there aren't a lot of those around uh, here, so she stood out, and I think Domino's Pizza did buy it corporately, and uh, took it somewhere, and uh, you're alleging that it hasn't ended up all that well. I don't. I had heard that it was back on on the East Coast that they had taken it out of the fresh water, but I didn't know if you guys had heard. I don't know. Alan brought his laptop in today. He could Google it if he, you know. I yeah. don't know if he will or not, but that's I remember, an interesting question. I remember Bill Brown and George Allen talking about the captain of that ship during the the 70s and the 80s was quite a character. Very few of the crew made it through the season, I guess. Well, Bill Brown and George Allen aren't characters. Oh, I know, but I'm talking about the guy that captained. <laughs> <laughs> They're involved uh, right. summertime, famous pinky scooter right. that's uh, down east there. For but just George was the ship carpenter for years. Right. Victory Chimes. Yeah. And I think Bill crewed on the Victory Chimes. 
And I knew a couple of other guys that did, and I was trying to think of the captain. I mean, I think everybody had to have a crew cut, and they slept in a in a compound at night with a fence around it. And yeah. It was pretty It was pretty intense uh, sailing situation. There are many different ways to command, Lawton. Yeah. Did you guys, <laughs> speaking about the Great Lakes, did you guys hear the thing about, apparently some guy in Illinois is supplying the Asian carp to Israel for the for gefilte fish, which I don't know that much about, but apparently Israel has put a huge tariff on this fish coming into Israel, and apparently this guy somewhere on, I believe it might be the Illinois River, is selling was selling millions of pounds of this stuff. Um, so that must be an incredible invasive scene there. Well, and the Asian carp got into the Mississippi, and right. and now they are all but to the Great Lakes. And just recently, I think they blocked off the end of the Illinois River as it comes into uh, Lake Michigan, I'm guessing. They've got some kind of electric. Yeah, electrified it, tried to poison the water, killed a couple of fish. But, uh, you know, ultimately there's nothing they can do to keep those carp out of there. Think about what that could do to the Great Lakes. Isn't nature wonderful, you know? A lot of guys on speedboats with broken jaws. <laughs> well, I got a dive bomb to laying in bed reading last night by a ladybug. They didn't start off here either, the damn things, you know? So, yeah, anyway. a little different than a big carp flying in. Jeez, I wonder if carp will eat them, the ladybugs, I mean, you know? They're coming out. That's all, I hate the little bugs. Everything's coming out early this yep. year. Thanks um, much. Well, real quickly, Lawton, uh, we got an answer to your question. Oh, Victory Chines is back in Maine. It's working out of a... Rockland Harbor, it says right here. Really? Yep. Wow. VictoryChimes.com. Hey, thanks much. Sure. All right. Bye. Yep. Oh, we what have, else we got this morning? We, we have were, another uh, phone call. Well, let's talk about that. I just see if there's anything that was uh, too important in the pile here. i got another great book to mention, but we'll get to that. Yeah, we'll have to make this a two-hour show. 1-866-625-9378. Good morning. You're on Boat Talk. Hey, I couldn't stay away. Uh, Fred in St. George. Hey, Fred. Um, wondering about the uh, rotary cylindrical sails that I heard about uh, 20 years ago or so. Uh, you know, be on the idea of the curveball. Uh, uh, you know anything about those? Like an egg beater kind of thing? No, no, just a, just a cylinder. I don't know uh, anything about the surface or the diameter, but this was a thing in the news 20 or more years ago. Um, and uh, a friend of mine is into wind power, and I'm just wondering about whether these things uh, have any potential for uh, wind uh, electric generation from wind. Don't know, and um, I would think it's a bad sign if you heard about them 20 years ago. But <laughs> <didn't hear> about <laughs> them yeah, yeah, okay, you're right. <laughs> um, anyway, it's, it's a... I brought in something this morning from, uh, we talked to uh, Captain Joe Royal out in San Francisco last year about Plastiki a uh, recycled plastic boat going on a garbage trip across the Pacific. Mm -hmm. um, and they have a rig here, which, uh, to make power, they have, of course, I've lost it in this silly pile, but they have a rig where they have uh, turbines that uh, deploy aft down by the rudder. And these turbines, apparently, are making energy from the flow of the water past the boat. Mm -hmm. And it says here, here's my favorite part, Submerged turbines near the rudders also generate power and can be reversed to provide up to two hours of propulsion while docking. 
They make power while the boat is sailing. Well, I can understand making power, but I don't know how reversing a turbine well, and you're trailing and, and, and behind where's, you. Where's the energy storage? Yeah, that's the first that's, thing. That's They're going to have okay. to put the energy into a battery. Yeah, that's but then reverses. to turn it. I thought I, I didn't. In fact, that's why I noted that was to say, okay, what's the energy equation there? There's got to be something I'm missing. How come all boats don't have a turbine hanging under them to recharge the battery? Seems to me it'd be smarter than having one of those wind generators howling in your ear up over the steering wheel, you know? Yeah. Sounds good. Yeah, I don't know anything about it, but, uh, you know, just duly noted this morning. Speaking all right. energy here. Uh, thanks Another for Another interesting energy thing I've been trying to throw up for months here, but uh, haven't quite got to... Um, Go quick, we got another phone call, too. But I believe it's by uh, 2014 or something. Um, Prince Edward Island expects to get 100% of their... Uh, 100% of their uh, electrical wind capacity for the province of um, uh, Prince Edward Island will be from wind, gener wind generation by 2015. They're going gangbusters up mm -hmm. there on that, and, of course... We're running into uh, a lot of controversy down here. So they may still, too, but anyway. Yeah, we'll speaking of energy equations, just yeah, for we, instance. We somebody else on the phone. Now, so let's, let's go to the next Thank call. God. Good morning. Welcome to Boat Talk. Yeah, hello. Hello. Yep, you're on deck. Yeah, is this Alan? Yes. Yeah, this is Jeff. How hey, are you Jeff. doing, Alan? Yeah, where are you calling from? Oh, actually, I'm calling from uh, Mystic. Mystic? Huh. Yeah, I'm working on a boat down here, and uh, she's uh, framed up. Uh, sawn frames and fuddocks. Fuddocks? Can you say that on the radio? <laughs> well, you know, it's taken me a long time to, to get comfortable with that word, you know. I'm, I'm not used to it. Define it for yeah. the people here, Jeff. Yes. Oh, okay, fuddocks. Well, let's see, the frames are uh, built up in uh, short sections of, you know, 5, 8, 10 feet. Well, you know, 10, 12, 14 feet long, some of them, and some of them are shorter, but, uh, you know, because... Using straight pieces to ultimately get a curve. Well, yeah, each one's curved, but uh, each one of those pieces weighs a couple hundred pounds each. You know, they're like uh, 10 by 10, you know, roughly, and, uh, you know, with a bevel on them and, uh, you know, fitted to the curve. You know, we're doing it backwards, so we're fitting into the curve of the inside of the planking, but Ooh. which was built 170 years ago. I'm, that was one of my questions, you know, if uh, there's anybody like Giffy out there, anybody, you know, historian on the boat building, you know, we've, we've got a lot more questions and answers about uh, how they did a lot of things, and uh, so I thought I'd uh, see if there's anybody out there uh, listening up in Maine who might uh, shed some light on a few questions. All right. Well, You're what, in what's, what's your contact then, Jeff? How do we, really? How do we, how does somebody get a hold of you to, to follow up on this? Oh, okay. Um, I can give you my, uh, I can give you my phone number. That would probably work, <laughs> if you don't mind people calling up and <laughs> Talking oh, about your flutics over the phones. No, somebody knows. Uh, um, what the, 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 the first thing we were wondering is uh, you know, when they built these uh, big vessels, she was a little over 100 feet. Um, did they put together each frame and, and erect them and brace them up, or did they put them together piece by piece and plank up as they went and then add flutics as they went? This is, um, I was talking earlier about this uh, book called Live Yankees by William Bunting. And again, it is a uh, account of the shipbuilding and ship-owning trade um, from the uh, uh, point of view of uh, uh, the people in Bath, Maine there. And um, it's fascinating how they built these ships. And you would think, okay, we're building them in Maine because we've got such great wood here. Well, no. 
Um, in the 1880s, most of the wood for these ships was coming from down south. And what they would do is a main guy, like yourself, would go south in the wintertime. Okay, go down to Virginia to a place where they had lots of nice live oak and stuff. Mm -hmm. And he would take patterns with him of huh. boards. Yeah. He would take those patterns right into the woods. He chops that tree down. He roughs that pattern out. And what he is sending back to Maine is the frame of the boat already cut but without the bevels okay and when we are building a a ship a 300 foot square rig ship on the bank in bath outside with no power tools and taking six months or a year not much more usually to yep. build a boat that big the reason they were able to do that was the frames are all cut to begin with they were cut in the woods in virginia uh -huh. or in uh, georgia or wherever they're coming from yeah and, uh, yeah, so a lot of this stuff was, like, say, pre-assembled uh, pre uh, before it showed up at the shipyard. Yeah. yeah. Well, they said that, uh, I was reading a book about, uh, they call it the birth of a whale ship, and they said that they spread the, the, uh, the trees out over uh, more than an acre of land, and then they'd walk around and identify, you know, which uh, tree was good for uh, which, which product and, and so on. And then they, they, they had the hewers. They were the first, they, they had hewers. And then dubbers, the ads guys, and then borers, and the hewers would go out in the field, you know, the acre and a half or so of land, you know, and, and they say, you know, uh, and they give him the pattern, I guess, and, and have him hew it up, I, I guess, square. You know, yep, and, and, and leave all the waste in the woods, cuts down transportation. And again, those people didn't have big engines, and they were working as hard as they could, as smart as they could. And Jeff, you hear the music in the background there, giving us the bums rush out of here, so... Love hearing from you this morning, man. Hope it's all up. good down in Mystic. Thanks for calling. Oh, Jeff, quickly your phone number. Oh, we missed up. We lost them. Yep. Anyway, boat talk. Uh, fun even when, like I say, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, we kind of were trying for some other stuff this morning. Didn't happen, and this was fine anyway. Yep. So uh, it's always a joy is we what I'm saying. We can probably get a hold of Jeff if you want. Go to boattalk.org. But time to make room for Jim Bahoosh coming up next with On the Wing here on Community Radio, WERU-FM, Blue Hill. Champion Jim Bahoosh. We didn't even talk about that. We'll have to save that for next month. But this is Alan Sprague for Boat Talk. Thanks for supporting Community Radio. Every second Tuesday and also at boattalk.org. Boat Talk is made possible in part by the Red Fern Boat Company of Hancock County. Since 1982, offering maintenance, storage, and restoration for power boats and sailboats. Also offering dockage on Mount Desert Island, redfernboat.com. Voices, 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 voices,